Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. I have Laura with me and Alan as well. And together we're going to be looking at this passage verse by verse. And it's a passage about the one man Adam and the one man Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah. And we're going to see the comparison between the two. And I'm going to preface this by saying the divinity of Yeshua does not change his humanity and his humanity does not change his divinity. Throughout the centuries, there have been theologians. And what is a theologian? A theologian is one that tries to take the Word of God and make conclusions and put it into a category and to explain it. There have been theologians that really struggled with either the divinity and the humanity of the Messiah, which are both scriptural truths, and then how do they explain it? There was one man named Nestorius that really could not accept the fact that God became flesh, and how do we understand his humanity? And he tried to make the humanity of Jesus into two different persons. And so when we look at God's Word, it's important that we understand that the Messiah was fully God, fully man, and that his divinity did not change the humanity of the Messiah, and the humanity of the Messiah does not change his divinity. We may not always be able to explain things and give a conclusion that is really understandable and present it to you. What is important is to present truth about what the Word of God is saying and not always having to put it into a compartment that you have to understand fully. In the same way that we look at God, God is one, yet God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We try to use analogies to explain this, but it's better for me just to accept the truth that God is one and God has revealed himself in three persons as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I may not be able to explain it all, that everyone can understand, but I can present truth. Hopefully that makes sense to everybody that's listening. The humanity of the Messiah is a scriptural truth. The divinity of the Messiah is a scriptural truth. In this passage, Paul is presenting his humanity in a comparison between the one man, Adam, and the man, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. And the difference between the two and what they accomplished. From one came death, from the other came justification. And we're going to keep it that simple. We do not have to be like Nestorius and go through all kinds of theological terms to try to explain his humanity. And by doing that, we get off subject. But God embraced humanity. Think about John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us. And so we just accept the fact that God embraced humanity. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, you see that same concept, that the Messiah humbled himself. 
by embracing humanity and coming to this world and being obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, death on the cross. And so as we get to Philippians, we'll look at that passage. As we get to John chapter 1, we'll look at the passage in John chapter 1. However, the Bible presents the Messiah as one with the Father. It presents his divinity, and it also presents his humanity. Messiah, Son of God, Messiah, Son of Man. Let's look at verse 12. I thought it was important that we talk about that before we read these verses, because these verses are stressing and presenting Messiah, Son of Man, and his humanity. Verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So through the one man, Adam, that God had created, because of his sin, sin entered into the world. And what we must understand from Adam's sin, and we know that this is talking about the sin of Eve and Adam together, through Adam's sin, all have sinned. That is a fact, that all have sinned since the time of Adam. Not one individual from humanity outside of the Messiah has been able to live a life free from sin. So all have sinned. From one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And there we see the wages of sin is death when we get to chapter 6. And we understand because of sin, death has come to the world. And death is the consequence of man's sin. How does that exactly happen? How is sin passed down to us? Well, that is another theological question that the text itself here doesn't deal with. And I try to stay away from broadening the context, but... Men debate on how sin is passed down. Is it passed down biologically? Is it passed down culturally? But one thing that we do know that through Adam and Eve's sin, the sinful nature has been with all men and all men sin. And it's impossible for man to go without sin. And that's also another understanding of the deity of the Messiah, because here is God embracing humanity, not bringing sin. He was spotless. He was sinless. He's not bringing death. He's bringing life. When we look at this, whether it's culturally, once sin comes into the world, that you're living in an environment where sin will always be there, or is it passed down the sinful nature biologically? That's something that I don't want to really get into the discussion, but this is what we know for a fact. From Adam's sin, all men sin. And that sinful nature is with all men, and it is impossible for man to live a sinless life. Only the man, Yeshua, the Messiah, who fully comes from God, was able to come and live a sinless life and bring forth not death, but to bring forth eternal life. So the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what we're going to see at the end of chapter 6. So if someone's looking for all the answers, then they turn to a theological teacher that will try to package it really well for them, 
And what happens is sometimes the package doesn't really explain the way it needs to be presented. I look at it as just explain it the way the text is saying. I don't have to know all the details. I do not have to always put it into a neat box so everyone can understand. I don't even have to give an illustration. I just present, here is the man, Yeshua, Jesus, that did not bring forth death, but he's bringing forth eternal life. Do you think it's fair to say that there are just some things that we're just not going to know until we get to heaven and until the Lord opens our, our, our hearts and our minds to see these things? Because you know, that verse just comes to mind, you know, his, his ways and his thoughts are higher than our ways or thoughts. Yes, I would say we know the truth about this, but the full understanding of it, no, who can explain? Who can fully explain how God embraced humanity to bring forth the Lamb of God, God's Lamb, be the perfect sacrifice for sin, and He was sinless, and He brought eternal life? I know the truth of that. That is the gospel. How to explain all aspects of it, I don't have to know all aspects of it, but one day I believe we will. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, talking about the spiritual gifts, that there is a day that is coming when the perfect comes, when we stand face to face, we will know all things as we have been known by God. So there is a day that, yes, we will know how God did all these things. We may know all the details. I believe we will know all the details. I'm limited on how I can explain it today, but that does not limit me from explaining the truth. That's what I'm trying to say. I present the truth. However, I don't know how to explain all the details of it. Now, let's read verse 12 again. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 13, for until law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. This verse is very similar to the verse that we looked at in chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is also no violation. Also in chapter 7, when we get to chapter 7, Paul says this in verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. So when we look at these passages here, what is Paul talking about? Because we know from earlier statements and the foundation that he's been building upon that man walked away from God and man is responsible for their sin and by their own actions, can they not be justified before God? Whether you're a Gentile or from a Jewish background, whether you have the Mosaic law or you have a law that's written on your hearts called a conscience. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in the sight of God. So if you isolate this scripture verse, as some people do, it would make some people say, well, where there's not the law of Moses, people are not responsible for their actions. Now, when we get to chapter 7, there is a context of the age of accountability that Paul's going to talk about, that when he was taught the law of God, then he became responsible for his life and for his actions. But this is in chapters 4 and 5 in a context about the law between 
Adam and Moses. And what is Paul trying to say? All right, let's look at this. And I don't know if we talked about this in chapter 4. I'd have to look back at it, but let's talk about it again. If Laura and Alan and I moved to a region of the world where there wasn't a country, there wasn't a state, and there wasn't law, and other people moved there, and as we're trying to figure out how do we deal with each other, say that we went and we stole somebody's house that they were building, and we took that. Now, that's against the law of God. That is something that is wrong. However, when we look at that, we're living in a land that there is not any law. How would we be charged with a violation if there's not an established law? It does not mean that we're not guilty before God. However, what Paul is talking about was the importance of the law that is coming. And when we get to chapter 7, it makes sin very sinful. It makes very clear what sin is, that there is a violation against God's law. So in, in no way is Paul saying that a man that does not have the law, the Mosaic law, or mankind from Adam to Moses was not guilty of sin because what is the consequences of sin? Death. And if you look at verse 14, you see, and let me read this, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even though they did not have the Mosaic law, the moral aspects of the law. This is what we have been talking about contextually. They didn't have the law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Even though they didn't sin in the same way, what I believe that is talking about in verse 14, Adam walked with God. Adam had a relationship with God. Adam was sinless up until the point that he did not trust and have faith in the Word of God, and he sinned against God. They didn't sin in the same way that Adam sinned, yet they all sinned, and death came to all mankind. So they were responsible for their actions, and the consequence of their sin was death. However, going back to verse 13, For until law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And again, this is not saying that they're not responsible for their actions. If they were not responsible for their actions, they would not have died. This is what Paul is saying. Nevertheless, verse 14, death reigned from Adam until Moses, before the law of Moses came. So the law of Moses is not just for the people of that time, but it was making very clear of God's judgment retroactively looking back from Adam to Moses that all of their sin and the consequences of their sin was death, and it's making very clear how they broke the character, and the law of God. The law of God, which reflects the character of God. When you think of it this way, it really brings out the aspect that the law was a gift. It kind of took you right to the point where you could say right and wrong. You could see it. Your heart already knew it. But when it's written down... How how did your heart know it? Your conscience by the law written on your hearts, he Mm -hmm. talks about in chapter 2. So mankind did have a law before they had the Mosaic law, and it's a conscience. 
Right, but would you see the Mosaic Law as a type of a blessing to make it so clear for the people? Yes. It's a blessing. It is part of the justice of God. It is showing mankind exactly how holy God is and what God expected for the Israelites coming into the land if they were going to be a light to the nations. They had to reflect his character, yet they never kept the law. To this day, they never kept the law from the heart for any extended time that really became a witness to the world. That's what he's going to deal with in chapter 7. A little bit of a different context, but the same type of principle. As a child growing up, he was alive. But when the law came, what should have produced life produced what? Death. Because he was taught not to covet, and then he found out that because of this sinful nature, he started coveting even more. And so we're going to deal with that when we get to chapter 7. This is dealing with the time from Adam to Moses that, yes, they're responsible for their sin, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. And so the law of Moses was not just to show the character of God of that day. Yes, it it was a gift to the people, even though the people saw it as a heavy burden that they had to carry, but also retroactively is showing man's sin from Adam to Moses and makes it very clear why they died. The wages of sin is death, and the law of God makes that very, very clear. So hopefully there's not any confusion concerning that. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. Emphasis, a free gift. This is God's grace. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah, abound to the many. Now, sometimes the, the phrase the many is an idiom for Israel that we see in the Old Covenant, but I believe this is in more of a, a general term because we're dealing with all of mankind contextually coming through here, and I don't believe that it's dealing as an idiom for Israel here. But the free gift is not like the transgression. Again, contextually, we're dealing with mankind in general. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Yeshua the Messiah, abound to the many. So through Adam came death, through Yeshua the Messiah, the grace of God, which is a free gift, is coming to mankind. Verse 16, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, Adam. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. From Adam's sin that predates the Mosaic law came what? The condemnation of God upon humanity. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. So out of this sinful world came the free gift that is now through the man, Yeshua, the Messiah, 
justification. Verse 17, For if by transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. That's very important that we understand in verse 17, those who receive, because people are going to use the next verse to say that everybody is saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. But going back contextually to verse 17 makes it very clear, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So it's not a general justification, but it has to be received. And we have seen this throughout everything that Paul has said. So you cannot isolate verse 18 from the context. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. And what that is saying, justification came to the human race, and those that receive, go back to verse 17, the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. It has to be received, and we know from chapter 3, it is received through faith. Chapter 4, we've always come to God through grace, through faith. This is something that's not a universality. Now that Jesus has died on the cross, all men are saved. No, but justification has come to the world that if you receive it, you have eternal life through Jesus Christ. You know, thinking about this, the way Paul's explaining it, and you think about Adam, you know, who had, he he intentionally disobeyed God, but he had these really big unintentional consequences, right, where you know, given over dominion of creation in the world to Satan that God had given him. So he made a mistake. And then you look at what God did through his son. It was so intentional to say, I'm going to send my son to die. He's going to be the perfect person with no sin in his life. And it's going to be for the justification of everybody. And you just see how God foresaw that, you know, knew what was going to happen and already had a plan in place to make it just very intentional and knew what he was going to do to bring this about. And whereas Adam sin and like you said in verse 13 you know we've we've all sinned because of that where Jesus died now we have to choose to accept him and we can be justified through him so yeah it's not a blanket you know Jesus died then everyone's saved like you were addressing in that that verse but it's a choice that you make to say I accept him as my savior and justified through him and it's just so much more powerful because it this is the god of the universe that intentionally said, I'm going to make this choice, and he knew what the consequence, or what not the consequence, what the, the result was going to be. It was going to be humanity being saved and his plan for redemption. So it's just really incredible to see him counter our sin through Adam and bring about justification through his son Jesus. I like the way that you put that, of looking intentionally, because everything about Yeshua going to the cross was very intentional of fulfilling the will of the Father. I think Adam, looking at what he was doing, did not know the consequences of what would take place because of his sin. His sin was real. His sin was disobedience against God. But how could he have known that he was bringing death to the world, to everyone, all the descendants, the sinful nature, and everything that would take place because of his sin? But Jesus knew 
where he was going. He knew what he had to do to bring about this great salvation. And it doesn't mean that he did not battle with that, because you see him in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to the Father, is there any other way? Let this cup pass from me. However, there was only one way that justification could come to the world, that you and I could have the opportunity to receive it, verse 17, and know God's forgiveness, where the wrath of God is not against us, but now the free gift of God's salvation. We have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Now let's go on to verse 20. have two more verses here. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. And what this is saying, not that there would become more sin, but our understanding of our transgressions would increase. In chapter 7, he's going to explain it by being taught the law. Sin became utterly sinful. And when we look back from Adam to Moses, it was transgression against God. But now the law came in so that the transgression would increase. Man's understanding of their sin would increase. Their understanding of the character of God and what is right and what is wrong, it would increase in that context. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The law brought about what? The increase of sin of man's awareness of their sinful nature and how it doesn't reflect the character of God. Grace abounded all the more. Without the law, how could we appreciate, let me say it this way, with the law, we appreciate the grace of God even more because the sin increased with our understanding of our transgressions against God. It's not that the law caused us to do more sin, but it made sin utterly sinful, and we still have the sinful nature that we have to deal with, but it makes so much greater God's forgiveness, this free gift of God's salvation that has come through Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ. Verse 21, So that as sin reigned in death... Even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Adam brought death to the world, but Jesus Christ has brought eternal life to those that would receive this free gift. That we have eternal life, that means though we die, yet we shall live. Jesus Christ, John chapter 11, says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he goes on to say, though you die, yet you shall live. And so we as believers do not see death as the end, but we see death as the beginning of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We know that death is not the end of our lives, but the righteousness of God has come to our lives through Jesus Christ. The wrath of God, we're not condemned because of the sin of Adam. But the righteousness of God, this eternal life, has come through Jesus Christ our Lord, and we have everlasting life. And death, where is your victory? Where is your victory? It is no longer over our lives. We belong to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. As a believer, we do not have to fear death. We do not have to look at death as the end. But we look at death in the sense that 
God has victory over death. God has victory over the grave. All authority has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we belong to Him, and our lives are in His hands. And so as a believer, we don't walk in fear because of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we put our faith in Him. So the one man brought about death, condemnation. He brought about the judgment of God, but through Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ, life eternal and God's righteousness has come to us for everyone that receives, and we know that we receive this free gift through faith in Him, and we've always come to God by God's grace through faith. So praise God for this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, God, that you did embrace humanity and bring forth your Son to bring forth your salvation, your righteousness, your holiness. And God, today, he has reversed what Adam did, and he has brought eternal salvation to everyone that believes. And Heavenly Father, we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we follow him. And thank you, God, that our lives are in your hands, God, and we give you praise In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.